everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. So in our church, we've been talking about how our why is Jesus and the way he loves. A big part of our how is that we want to create a shame-free space for people who are on all different steps, I suppose, of their spiritual journey. And I qualify that a little bit because when you look at Jesus' life, he's always leaning a certain direction. He's leaning toward people who are new to faith or just kind of discovering what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. So we try to do that too, and that gets expressed uh, from everything to language we use to music to, I mean, pretty much everything we do, at least in theory, is driven by that why. So I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, the, the, I'm just going to read it, and we'll go. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up there. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, let me pray before we get started. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. I pray specifically for those in the room who have lost hope, who have lost a clear sense of purpose. I pray that somehow through the time spent here, that they would feel a reconnection with you, the source of all life and all meaning and all purpose. So shine your light on each one of us, wherever we're coming from, and be the one who actually stands between the gap of my mouth and everyone's heart, uh, and, and translate and, and communicate, and you actually, God, it'd be great if you would speak to people today. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so Hebrews is a letter that was written to an early church, but it's a unique letter in the sense that most letters kind of have a beginning, middle, and end. This letter seems to be a collection of, I think it's five homilies or five exhortations, five like mini talks, if you will, uh, with related subject matter, but not totally the same. Uh, and then at the end, it, it feels like a letter, and whoever it is that's writing the letter, we don't actually know, says, okay, see ya, uh, have a nice life. But this, is, this little section is actually at the end of one of the, the homilies, and we'll spend some time going back into the beginning of the homily to help unpack exactly what's going on. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, a very, I think, familiar and popular and meaningful passage. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Just think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people when you won't, when you, uh, then you won't become weary and give up. <clears throat> so this, this is an interesting little passage that'll kind of get us going. Uh, the, the metaphor here that gets used, did you catch it? He's, he's uh, using the metaphor of running a race. 
Uh, and it's interesting to me, the Greek word, uh, the original language that the Bible was, the New Testament at least, was written in Greek, uh, the word is agon for race, which is where we get our English word agony. So if you think about running a race, there's a fair amount of pain and agony or struggle. And uh, the metaphor for life, I think, holds true as well. We are running a race. Uh, life is like a race, and it's not a short race, it's not a sprint, it's actually a marathon. So we're in this race for the long term, and there will be a good amount of agony on your way. There will be moments where you get stuck. And as you go, uh, it's really interesting, in, in, uh, in verse 3, it says, think about all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people. And I don't know that you even need the qualifier sinful. I mean, I think if you have walked in the world, you realize that even, or I should say especially, like people in this room have stuff that they are dealing with. And if you are in relationship with them, even, it's, even if it is as simple as running into them in the grocery store or uh, encountering them, say, at a, at a stop sign, uh, there's going to be some hostility that you will meet. And uh, some of the hostility will actually be coming out from you because that is the state of our hearts uh, as we wait and as we uh, continue on this process of becoming more like Jesus. Until we're perfectly like Jesus, we're going to meet hostility and we're going to cause hostility. And what this passage is trying to tell us is if you want to keep going, you need to shed off uh, some of those things that weigh you down. So don't let people or circumstances do that. And if you want to keep going, as we've been saying in this series, you have to keep your eyes focused on what? On your why. You need to know why you're running this race of life. For the Christian, the Christian has said, our why is Jesus and how he loves, right? We do this, verse two of chapter 12, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So, let's actually jump back into Hebrews 11 now. And you might think, oh boy, if you have your Bibles, this is like three pages, and I'm, I'm not gonna read it all, but we're gonna see how far we get. And I'm gonna skip some big sections. Um, in verse 1 of chapter 11, we start out with this first key, I suppose, of being able to run this race without letting people or circumstances trip us up or weigh us down. And Hebrews says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation, or the Greek is probably closer to a commendation, like uh, if in the, in the military you get a commendation, only this commendation uh, comes from God. So by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that now can be seen. Okay, so in order to keep running this race, in order to keep going, in order to like, continue on the race of life, you have to remember that the why cannot be seen. 
you have to remember that there is more to this world than what can be measured. Does that make sense? The what is what can be seen. The, the things that you do, the behaviors. But if you want to keep running the race, Hebrews here reminds us that by faith we understand the entire universe, in fact, was formed at God's command. What we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It's not always obvious, but if you live life as if all there is to this life is the job you work and the people you know and uh, even the, the science, the, you know, the things that can be measured, you're going to not be able to finish. Uh, the why cannot be seen. If that's all there is is par particles and molecules and brain cells, uh, there's no purpose. Uh, the guy who first discovered DNA basically explained this in, in no uncertain terms. He said, all you are is a collection of nerves and chemicals. There's no such thing as love. Someday you will die. It will all be meaningless. The universe will end in a giant you know, return to nothingness. And if all you see is all there is, then that's true. But Hebrews is reminding us that there is more to this world than what can be seen. And it began with God, the one who created everything. And then what <clears throat> happens here in chapter 11 is, is it goes through a, a list of characters. Some characters you may know, others you may not. It says it was by faith that Abel did these things. It was by faith that Enoch did things. It was by faith Noah. It was by faith Abraham. Uh, it was by faith Sarah. And then it says something really interesting. And all these people died. Well, that's an encouraging thought, isn't it? <laughs> so in order to continue the race of life and not uh, get tripped up or, or upset or stuck by people or circumstances, you must remember that all these people died. Uh, have any of you read the book, uh, The Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket? Some of you? Yeah, okay, they, they did a Netflix series. Have you seen the Netflix series? It's pretty good. Uh, it's not exactly Ken-friendly, and uh, if you've read Lemony Snicket's, the, the narrator is always warning you not to read on because of the terrible things that are coming uh, to these poor orphans. But at one point, they end up in Proofrock Preparatory School. Do you remember this, guys? And... Uh, <laughs> their motto there is memento more, which is Latin. Uh, it is Latin for remember, one day you will die. And uh, their, their, their school mascot is a dead horse, which is uh, ironic. I, don't, I can't laugh at it on the stage, but it's ironic uh, because then at, uh, at their prep, uh, prep rallies, prep rallies, Proof rock preparatory school prep rallies at the proof rock preparatory school prep rallies, they can yell, you can't beat a dead horse. You can't beat. Okay, anyway. So that's kind of funny too. This is their school mascot. Anyway, remember, one day you too will die. And what this is pointing us to, I think, is that if you want to find significance, it must come from something more than the sum of your life. If you want to keep going, 
If you want to survive, if you want to get out of the rut, you must remember that your purpose, your why is bigger than yourself. And uh, it kind of goes into this as we continue on. Uh, Yeah, here it says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they couldn't have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So even though these guys died, they knew they were uh, part of something bigger. They knew that they were part of God's big redemptive plan. That God was actually taking history somewhere, and that they played a small part in it. Did you notice how at the beginning of every uh, passage, if you would have read it, it would have made even more sense. It describes uh, in those verses before what these people did. Abraham did this. Noah did that. You know, there was a flood, and so he built a boat. And Abraham was old, but he had a kid, you know. Uh, But before that, it says, by faith. By faith. By faith, all these things that they did had a reason for it. They did it because of their faith, because they trusted that what God is doing in this universe is actually taking it to a place uh, and building a city is the metaphor here. A great city, a better place in a heavenly homeland. God is doing something and he is calling these specific people to be part of it. And so I think to continue on this race, remember that you will die, but remember that you are part of something bigger and keep your what, keep what you do linked to why you do it. Each one of these people in the stories that the book of Hebrews uh, recounts, there was a personal calling on each of their life. In other words, there was like a specific purpose that they didn't know exactly how their story was going to go after they had died. But for instance, like Abraham gave birth to Isaac, who gave birth to Jacob. And you follow that line down far enough and Jesus comes from that line. And Jesus is the one who comes as the king of the universe to bring order and to restore all that was crooked and make it straight, to wipe away every tear. Like that's, that's where this is all headed. That is the hope that we have. But the, the what was connected to the why, they had a sense of calling or a sense of purpose. And so you might be sitting there thinking, but what's my calling? And what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, uh, I think there's this guy, Frederick Buchner, and I'm not going to go into who he is, but he, he says this. He says, the place God calls you, or in other words, the purpose for your life, is the place where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. Uh, I think that's a pretty good place to start. Let me rephrase that. The place where, you want to know what your calling is? Figure out what the world needs and where your passions lie and figure out where those two things intersect. But I think there's more to that. Let me add something about God's heart 
and who God is. And to do that, I'm actually going to jump back into Matthew chapter 18. This is a story about Jesus, and it says in verse 1, about that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And if you were to answer that in like current cultural uh, terms, you would say the person with the most Instagram followers, the person with, with the most Facebook likes, the pe- person with the most money, the person with the prettiest face, uh, the person with the most power, right? Who in our culture is celebrated and applauded? But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, what Jesus does is he calls a little child to him and he put the child in among his disciples and among his closest friends and among the people who he was making the deepest investment with while Jesus was on this planet. And he puts a child among them, in with them, And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Guys, your calling includes a calling to children. There's no such thing as someone who says, I want to love like Jesus, but doesn't do something to love children. And I think that's why uh, in the vineyard, in this church, we put a huge uh, like, emphasis. Like we celebrate the children and what they're doing and, and how they're praying for each other. There's this little girl uh, I asked permission to tell the story. This little girl named Charlotte, and uh, she has a grandpa with severe pain in in his ankle. And one day, uh, Charlotte goes up to grandpa, puts her hands around grandpa's ankles, and starts to mumble something, mutter something. Uh, not totally cohesive. Charlotte's three. Not not totally coherent starts to mumble something, but it's clear that she's praying to Jesus. And grandpa says, wow, my ankle stopped hurting. That's amazing. And this, this story was shared at our, our prayer training last week. The person who came said, you know, I, I, uh, I wasn't really sure how I felt about praying for the sick, which is something we here in the vineyard do. But she said, I mean, after Charlotte did that, I figured the only place she could have learned it was from the vineyard. So I figured I'd go to this prayer training and learn how to pray like Jesus too. And now grandpa's asking Charlotte whenever he's in pain to come and pray for his ankle. And the ankle feels better afterward. Like we love our kids. And it's one of the reasons, just can I put up this other chart? Like we, we want to welcome children, but we also want to keep them safe. And so like, I guess this is a form of announcement. Uh, it's a change that's coming in the way that we want to keep our kids safe. On February 10th, we're going to close uh, that side entrance into the kids wing. We're gonna lock it so that you can't get in. You could still get out, it's a fire exit. But w- with one entrance, it just, make sure that only the people who are supposed to be back in the kids' wing are back in the kids' wing. And so you, if you don't, 
if you're not an authorized personnel, <laughs> if you don't have a sticker because you're a kid or have a sticker because you're a parent or have a, a lanyard because you're a teacher, like there's no real reason for you to be back there. And the thing that comes with that is at 1130, we're going to close those kids' wings uh, because we want to, w- those rooms, we're going to lock the rooms because we want to make sure that uh, there's not kids back there unsupervised. Like we want to keep them safe. And so at 1130, you know, by then we're asking you to go and pick up your child and then, and then you're responsible for them and for their safety. And that doesn't mean that there aren't people in this room that will help you look out for them. That's something that goes on. Like we have a village here and we're, we're trying to take care of our kids and show them the ways of Jesus. But there's, there's a safety element that we just want to make sure is clear and straightforward. And so, again, we value kids here. We also value prayer here. So if you're receiving prayer at the end of service and you're thinking, man, I need to make sure my kids are taken care of, you can give your tag to someone you trust and know, and they can go, you know, take responsibility for the safety of your kids. Jesus goes on to say um, in Matthew 18, but if you scandalize one of these little ones, that's that's the Greek, if you scandalize a little one, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so, like, sometimes Jesus might use hyperbole, but, like, he's getting our attention here when he's talking about uh, not just making sure that you have an environment that uh, helps kids love like Jesus, but make sure it's an environment where you're not causing them harm. So we're doing that because we want to love like Jesus. And I would, again, just encourage you to remember that part of your calling, part of your purpose includes a heart for children. And Jesus actually expands that a little bit because he, from talking about children, he talks about little ones. Uh, and, and also then he talks about people kind of in the fringes who are far from God, who, who don't know uh, what real relationship with Jesus looks like. And so if you want If you want to capture God's heart, think about how you're living your life. Think about the what and see if it matches the why. Like if you feel stuck in a rut, maybe it's because you haven't found children to serve. There is great purpose in that. Maybe you haven't found, maybe it's immigrants. Maybe it's people living in poverty. Jesus expands that idea where he says, you know, you want to understand what I'm saying? Look at a child. But it includes people who are marginalized, who are downtrodden, who are low. And, and so add God's heart to your passion and the world's need. Okay? Uh, one other thing that I just want to say kind of in discerning God's calling or purpose for your life is you know what's even better to get more specific? When God gives you like direction, like if you feel like God is saying, you know, I, I, think, I think God called me here to this place specifically. My wife and I came about two and a half years ago. Uh, and, I, and I had somebody who I was talking to on the phone uh, who's looking for a new, a new job. And there's the question of how do I find the job that God wants for me? And what I told him is I said, you know, I believe in open-handed movement. Like, I think God works best when we are headed somewhere, and then he can redirect us toward what his purpose or will or desire is, if we're open-handed. And I said, you know, man, I'm like anybody else. I can put my head down, and I can charge ahead toward what I want. But I think if you keep your eyes focused on your why, 
If you keep your eyes focused on your why, in other words, your antenna up and your hands open, you will, if you keep moving, realize that God is actually creating something inside of you, a peace, let's say, for the things that he has for you and uh, like a caution in your heart for the things that he doesn't have for you. Because I don't know about you, I think God has spoken to me uh, at times, like in a, in a whew, like thoughts through my head, that wasn't from me because I would have never chosen that for myself. Where did that come from? Uh, but be careful when he does that. Uh, I'm gonna keep reading from Hebrews for you to find out why, if you feel like God has spoken to you really clearly and re- really directly, why you should be careful. Okay, so we're gonna jump all the way to chapter 11, verse uh, verse 32. Uh, verse, yeah, verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. There's some names that you probably haven't heard before. I had no idea who Jephthah was until I looked it up. Anybody here know who Jephthah is? I'd be surprised. This, you get like trivia Bible award if you know who Jephthah is. This is an interesting list of people because you have some people you may have heard of if you went to Sunday school as a kid. Gideon, right? Like the hero Gideon. Uh, but then, you know, Samson, the hero Samson. But then there's like Jephthah. And you wonder, who is Jephthah? Well, Jephthah was the illegitimate son of a prostitute. And he's mentioned here as one of the heroes of the faith. In fact, uh, as the son of a prostitute, it's recorded in the Bible and judges something or other. He says, his brothers wanted nothing to do with him and said, you will never share in part of my, our dad's, our stepdad's, your stepdad's inheritance. And we don't want you around, so leave. So having faced ultimate rejection from his family, coming from humble origins, God calls Jephthah to ultimately and eventually become the savior of Israel from the Ammonites. Needless to say, you don't have to be doing grand things or come from grand beginnings for God to call you and use you for grand things. And don't even get confused about what grand things are, right? We have ideas about what grand things are. Earlier, it talks about uh, Rahab, who, oddly enough, was a prostitute, not, not Jephthah's mom, but a prostitute who did something very simple. She let two spies hide in her attic. That's all she did. And God used that simple thing you see as it like ripples out across the centuries to accomplish his will and purpose. Okay, sorry, let's keep going. By faith, these people did all these cool things, overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by, uh, by the edge of the sword. Their weakness, this is pretty cool, their weakness was turned to strength. And they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And women received their loved ones back again from the dead. This is like Lord of the Rings stuff. This is pretty, this, you know. Am I, wrong, am I right? Like, there, you can make an HBO show out of all that stuff that just happened. Uh, or Netflix. Uh, but here, remember how I warned you? If God gives you clear, specific calling, here it comes. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. 
They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Want to hear what verse 38 says about these people who went through all that stuff? They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation or again, a commendation from God because of their faith. Yet none of them received at all what God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. When you have a clear sense of why, when you have a clear calling from God, you will be willing to sacrifice and suffer for it. And my warning to you is that if if he gives you a clear calling, he might be calling to you something really tough that requires a lot of sacrifice. I, uh, I remember when God first me call, called me into the vineyard movement away from uh, a denominational church. I had to give up some things. I, I, it was one of the first times that I heard like God in my heart in a really clear way. Uh, I, was, I was sitting in a church and we were singing it was a vineyard church, and God said, you know, you're going to join these people. And I said, no. You don't understand. I have a sure thing job coming up. It's going to pay great. All my friends are not in the vineyard at that time. Uh, so there's money, there's friends, there's comfort. Like, the job is going to be a relatively easy job. You're asking me to leave comfort for difficulty. And he said, yeah, I know. And I said, but you don't understand. People in the vineyard, they're weird. (laughs) They're strange people. And he says, yeah, I know. (laughs) We let anybody in, right? And that's the beauty of the vineyard. And it seemed like I did. I gave up money and comfort and friends to join the vineyard. It was not comfortable. It was not easy. And God might be calling you to give up some of the things that you treasure as well to serve the little ones, to sacrifice for the poor. Because if you have a clear sense of why you're doing something, you will give up those things for it. You, you all need to find something that's worth sacrificing everything for if you want to run this race and make it to the end. Let's land back on Hebrews 12, verse 1. It means we're almost done. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. 
And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So it says, even Jesus, and he he suffered a lot. Even Jesus had to keep his eye on something beyond the present circumstances of his life in order to endure. Even Jesus who met a lot of hostility from some real knuckleheads along the way, who were difficult to work with. Some of his co-workers, his close friends, betrayed him. So even his friends betrayed him, not to mention his enemies, right? Isn't that true for most of us too? For him to endure the hostility, he had to keep his eyes on what? The joy set before him. And do you know what that joy was? That joy was you. Jesus came, the why of Jesus, the reason that he came was to erase our sins, to reconnect us from God. So when it says the joy that was set before Jesus kept him going, he was thinking of his bride, his people, his family, his brothers, his sisters. In other words, he was thinking about each one of you. And that kept him going. That was his why. So let's pray. Jesus, oh, it is a privilege to be your joy. I think about how important it is or how difficult it is to keep going in this life where there is all sorts of hostility and all sorts of trouble, and all sorts of pain, and all sorts of things to distract us and weigh us down. And so I would simply ask you, God, to send your spirit here on this day and to bring freedom to lift off the weight that some people here are carrying, really that all of us are carrying. Revive us, Holy Spirit. Lift us out of the rut. Keep our eyes focused on you. We trust you to carry us through. Uh, As Hebrews says, you're not just the author, but you're the perfecter. You're the one that keeps our faith alive. Let it be that at the end of our lives, we can say, By faith, we raised three children. By faith, I served in the kids' wing. By faith, I came to church early and made coffee. By faith, I went out and met the poor. I loved them. By faith, I stood for justice. By faith, I made friends with the difficult people, the hostile people in my neighborhood, in my workplace. By faith. Write that on our hearts, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.